you're about to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed. Dustin translates the Fed speak for us and tells us what to expect out of the Fed in the coming weeks and months. He also talks about the U.S. fiscal story, what's changed on that front, the commodity story and the impact that China's having on commodity prices, as well as his view on the Canadian dollar. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm back with Dustin Reed for our biweekly podcast. Welcome back, Dustin. Hey, Matthew. Thanks very much for having me back. No problem at all. Uh, I thought we'd get started today uh, by talking about the Fed uh, and uh, and getting your view on any updates from the Fed that seem particularly relevant or, or any change in, in their uh, speak or, or view on things. Yeah, for sure. So I think that uh, the last couple of days have actually seen uh, a little bit of a change in tone from the Fed that is worth discussing and, and picking up. Um, late last week, we had uh, a Philly... Fed President Harker kind of joined the uh, discussion around when should there be um, having a discussion around tapering. And I'm using that discussion term twice for, for a purpose because that's how Chairman Powell has, has described it. You know, we're not thinking about thinking about uh, raising right. rates. And uh, you can kind of say that with the, with the taper discussion as well. So that happened late last week. And um, early this week, uh, we, we had a couple more uh, Fed Fed uh, officials join join the crew. Um, Clarida, Vice Chair Clarida, who's obviously very important, I would say probably number two in terms of most important in terms of the, the Fed officials, uh, actually uh, joined that chorus uh, early this week uh, by essentially saying that uh, it, it's not too far away before we talk about having a tapering discussion at some of the upcoming meetings. And, you know, this is, this is classic Fed. This is Fed um, doing a few things, actually. One, just, you know, inching off the starting line here ever so gingerly um, and trying to let people know that this is coming. And it is obvious that it's happening, but we're just, you know, incrementally inching off the line, so to speak. Uh, important, important point about the Clarida interview uh, uh, earlier this week. That was unscheduled. So late last week, when I looked at the schedule for the upcoming week, it was not there, and then uh, and then it popped up. So that tells you something, right? That tells you that uh, they wanted to get a message out from somebody very senior, and right. and kind of continue to shape the narrative ahead of the June FOMC. Um, so I think that's you know I think that's you know that's very important. Um, and then. <laughs> Kind of on the other end of the spectrum, somewhat surprisingly, um, San Francisco Fed President Daly, who I would say is, you know, definitely on the dovish end of the spectrum, uh, and arguably the, you know, the one of the most dovish members, except maybe for Kashkari from uh, from Minneapolis, um, but she also joined the same chorus. So you hmm. had, um, uh, you know, so you had that, and then you had Cleveland Fed Pres uh, Mester was pretty hawkish, not the most, but uh, more so, didn't go uh, head on on the tapering stuff 
but did uh, did directly you know we can't take for granted that the uh, inflation numbers that we've been seeing are going to be transitory and we have mm. to keep in mind that there could be a really you know we could be wrong you know we could be wrong about our inflation outlook uh, and our base case scenario so there were a few things over the last uh, number of days from kind of all across the hot hawk dub spectrum uh, that really caught my eye in terms of okay the narrative is clearly changing We've got people from you know the board uh, fed districts you know kind of the the hawkish end of the spectrum the dovish end of the spectrum kind of the you know middle ish uh, you know centrist ish part of the spectrum um, all 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 shifting a little bit and again ever so slightly but this tells you that well, A, the discussion is clearly happening, and we know that because of the minutes from the April meeting, which were out, um, you know, three weeks after the meeting. Um, so, so we know that. Um, but this is the way the Fed is going to continue to incrementally uh, shift the narrative, or at least, you know, uh, keep moving the narrative along. So, you know, as we've talked about a few times here, um, you know, I, I've thought that June was uh, June clearly a very important meeting for sure. Um, forecast meeting. Uh, I haven't been on board for the idea that we're going to see a big, uh, you know, uh, a big moment in time where the Fed, you know, drops a big hint and here we go um, in June. Uh, and I thought that if if something were to happen, uh, it's probably later in the summer around Jackson Hole. Um, right. But I do think that, you know, given what we've had over the last three or four business days here, you know, as we as we do the podcast, I, I feel that, you know, it would be foolish to think that we're not going to see some additional incremental um, advancement in terms of the tapering discussion um, at the June meeting. Now, that can come in a few ways, right? It'll definitely come in the way of the minutes, but that'll be three weeks after the meeting. It is very likely to come up in the Q&A session. I mean, it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable at this point. It probably, it probably comes up a little bit, although exceptionally gingerly, in the statement that Powell reads right before the uh, the press conference. You know, will it make its way into the big official statement that they release at two o'clock Eastern? You know, probably not. But obviously, June is also a forecast meeting, and if I read if I read between the lines of what's happening the last few days here we're going to see um, an increase in the median dot uh, for 23 and we're okay. going to see more dots in 22 and maybe the market, you know, maybe the market cares, maybe it doesn't. I would think that it does care, but rates at least, you know, kind of taking my, you know, my wheelhouse, which is obviously fixed income uh, and strategy and, and FX, you know, rates haven't moved higher on the back of this uh, talk, which is very interesting. You know, that could be a few reasons. And, and to be fair, I would have expected it to move higher. And I think most people would have as well, rates to move higher. And I haven't. Um, and I think, you know, some of that's probably, be, you know, by the rumor, sell the fact that that's kind of an easy throwaway. Okay, that's what's going on. Um, another one could be kind of the second derivative play, which is, okay, well, the Fed might be moving a little bit, a little bit earlier than the market had recalibrated. I think the market a few months ago was looking at June. Then it kind of pushed to August, and now we're looking at this again. And uh, you know, uh, just if risk assets are offered, you know, particularly equities, um, you know, maybe that there's a bid for fixed income, so you know, prices higher, you know, rates lower, right. 
type thing. And we're not seeing a huge move lower by any stretch, but it's a bit sideways. And again, just at least at the headline, you wouldn't necessarily expect that um, given the change in tone. But, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, people have been watching it, obviously myself as well. And it's been so well telegraphed for so long that uh, maybe it is very much a buy the rumor, sell the fact. So anyway, I think it's a very interesting kind of iteration. I think, you know, in, in two weeks, uh, time when you know if we do another one here before the Fed meeting, it's going to be quite, you know, quite interesting. And we'll try and set up the try and set up the June Fed meeting as uh, you know as best we can at that time, keeping in mind that you know the Fed's essentially going to be in blackout at the end of this week, and there'll be there'll be minimal right. stuff, uh, kind of you know after the early days of June and uh, and June sixteenth, which is the announcement date. Uh, great. So that's. Very interesting. So uh, June sixteenth is the uh, is the uh, the date of the meeting. Um, we'll keep that on the calendar. Um, I'm curious. The sort of now they're incrementally moving towards perhaps tapering or or thinking about that. You expect uh, right. rates on the dot plot to to go a little bit higher. Markets haven't reacted. What coming out of that June meeting will cause markets to react? Is it the doubling down? Like, is it you being proved correct? Is it is it already priced in that that what you've just um, what you've just come, uh, outlined is is in the market already, or, or what's your expectation there? Well, that's a good question. It's tough to pull that tough to pull that apart. I would say, you know, clearly, if Powell changes his tone during the press conference, that is that is going to get people pretty, you know, pretty interested. And I think, I think it would be enough for, you know, for, for rates to move higher. It doesn't take a lot. Uh, you know, I haven't looked at them in, in a few weeks to be fair, but if memory serves correct, we were not far away from seeing uh, a median uh, hike in 2023 right. at, after the March meeting. It wouldn't have taken much. I believe it was two more uh, hiking by, by 25 to kind of get us to there. Um, you know, but if you had, and I think, again, I think it was four dots for, um, 2022. Uh, if you had a few, you know, if you had the combination of that, uh, a couple more in 22, and the median dot to 23, I feel like that's, you know, that's that that could also do it. You know, of course, in conjunction with Powell, I'm also, and I think I may have flagged this before, but it's worth mentioning again. The Fed has generally been on the, you know, been on the of the of the mind that inflation is going to run a bit hot this year, and then uh, slow, I mean, obviously still see positive inflation next year, but you know, the, the, the rate of change will slow for next year. So that right. very much underscores the idea of you know, the transitory nature of uh, inflation, particularly in Q2, as we kind of look through the base effects from, you know, March, April, May of 2020, for the obvious reason, you know, early days of the pandemic and, you know, demand fell off a cliff. Um, if, if the Fed, ups its 2022 uh, inflation forecast, its core PCE forecast, somewhat significantly. And I haven't decided exactly what significantly is, but I would say at least two-tenths, uh, 0.2 okay. percentage points. Um, so 0.2 or more. Uh, that's gonna, I think that's going to get some attention. Regardless, if it comes in closer so it's kind of a flatter, um, it's a flatter trajectory, so to speak, between the expectations for 21 and the expectations for 22 in terms of inflation. So that would suggest to me, at least on the margin, that some in the Fed are not thinking that the transitory nature of the you know, current inflation dynamic is as transitory. <laughs> and uh, 
you know right. that that's that that will change that will change i at least that will, that will that will affect my view um and i think it would affect others as well so those are some of the things you know i really don't think that the big statement you know the one that they absolutely uh pour over every single word you know the one that gets released at two o'clock uh eastern I, I don't expect mass at this point here, you know, as we sit here doing the podcast today, I don't expect huge changes there. It's going to be more subtle. It's going to be little things in the inflation forecasts. There'll be a little change or a prepared answer that Powell has gone over a dozen times you right. know, in the days before the meeting. So when he gets asked the inevitable question, he gets it just how he wants it. It'll be those little subtle changes and you kind of take two or three or four of those things together and you know that that could be enough to you know to push to push rates higher but i don't think we're going to be seeing you know as i've been saying for a while i don't think we're going to be seeing a, a big rip higher in rates kind of through the june meeting i think that um you know this is going to be a, a q3 it's more of a q3 event for more you know for more volatility in rates so uh it'll be Perfect. a very interesting meeting the meeting is the meeting is definitely very very live as as we say a lot of a lot of moving parts. And I think it'll be very interesting. That's great. And uh, obviously the next podcast will have uh, more of your insights on, on what to expect out of that meeting. Um, For sure. You did reference inflation a few times as, uh, and that's, um, at least one of the uh, driving forces, if not the primary force for, uh, I suppose, the thinking about thinking about tapering or, or whatever sure. the terminology is. Um, yep. talk, let's talk a little bit about China and, and the commodities and U.S. fiscal story and how they tie into inflation. I uh, love your, your view on both of those. Yeah, so similar to the Fed where we've seen a change in tone the last few days, I would say um, China uh, commodities and U.S. fiscal also seen a little bit of change, um, so I'll take those slightly separately and kind of bring them back. Um, Great. On the U.S. on the U.S. fiscal story, um, I, I would say the, the the window May May has been all about, and we knew coming into May, May was going to be all about Biden and the administration trying to get a bipartisan deal together for kind of the next iteration or iterations of the fiscal story, kind of the the capital aspect. And the human aspect, which have you know essentially been pitched as, as separate bills, um, I would say that the the door is starting to close, although not close, but the door is starting to close on getting a bipartisan deal for Republicans and Democrats to to come together to do at least the first part of those bills, the uh, the, the real infrastructure bill, um, the you know the more capital, so you know traditional stuff, bridges roads, tunnels, ports, airports, um, a couple other things. So that, that sort of stuff. And that seems to be, that seems to be going away. Um, they're, they're very far away on their numbers. So Biden has moved from two and a quarter trillion to 1.7 trillion and Senate, uh, Republicans have come up. I think they just floated it this morning. Uh, I haven't read through all the details, but I think they've come up from the high, um, hundreds of billions. So, you know, they're, they're moving, they're moving closer to be fair, but there's still, there's still quite a bit of gap. I'm sorry, and, Dustin, uh, what, was the, what was the number that Republicans came up to? I believe it's a trillion even. One trillion. Point. Okay. Great. Yeah. And they were kind of around, uh, after a few iterations around 700 billion. Um, okay. Now Pelosi and, 
uh, Schumer, so uh, Speaker Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Schumer are still really pushing an agenda. You know, we are going to get something done by July, regardless. I think that was literally Schumer's words yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. And the Republicans, I don't think, are in quite as much of a rush sticking to the September timeline, which has kind of been kind of been my timeline. But what's interesting about all of this is that, um, you know, the probability for a reconciliation go it alone package. And I, I wrote a piece earlier this year, you know, basically, I think it was that, you know, that exact title, going it alone. And, uh, you know, that's obviously how Biden got the $1.9 trillion COVID package through in March. You know, the bipartisan, you know, ideal that started for a while that looked like it was going to happen basically got, you know, thrown out the window and, you know, he ended up actually getting the, basically the number that he started with, the $1.9 trillion. Um, I think the probability of that reconciliation coming in is, uh, you know, a higher probability and obviously, it's a lower notional amount at 1.7 trillion, and we'll see where it lands. And there, there are tax pay-fors, so it's not just that. There's there there are taxes associated with that, particularly corporate taxes on the infrastructure side. Um, but it could come in a little sooner than I think people expect. And so mm-hmm. I think that's you know I think that's interesting. Um, although I feel that fiscal is not necessarily the driver, uh, also for inflation that you know it was in Q1. I mean, you know, obviously it a massive part of the Q1 story and the recalibration, which you know, we talked about a lot. Um, part of the reason I don't feel it's as big a driver is, A, because there's the pay-fors, you know, so there's the tax increases. So, you know, in theory, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not free money. Like some, someone's actually going to pay for it. And of course, people always end up paying for it anyway, but this isn't debt that's, you know, somewhere out there that gets paid back in 5, 10, 30 years. This is tax increases that hit next year. So, you know, so there's, there's, there's an almost immediate pay for. And a few podcasts ago, I think we talked about the idea of a, neg- a negative uh, fiscal impetus, maybe even in 22, uh, depending on how the numbers worked out. But again, these numbers, these fiscal numbers are going to be over an eight to 10 year period. So while the, the headline numbers, the revenue numbers are, or the spending numbers, I should say, are, are monster numbers for sure. Like they're, they're, they're huge numbers. You probably need to divide them by eight, and really, you should divide the net number by eight as opposed to the gross number. And so, those numbers look a lot smaller. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're not seeing rates, you know, rip higher here uh, or the dollar, uh, because um, you know, while these numbers are still sizable, you know, two, three, four hundred billion a year, maybe in net additive, um, you know, spending, which is not nothing, but on a twenty trillion dollar GDP. You know, nominal GDP. Uh, you know, it's it's not it's not huge. You're not seeing rates move higher because people aren't aren't concerned about the inflationary aspect. You know, the Fed is clearly not worried about it, and the Fed could be wrong. But the Fed doesn't seem to be worried about it, and I would argue that even more importantly, Yellen, uh, who's Treasury Secretary, and obviously a former Fed chair, <laughs> um, also seems to be very nonchalant about the inflation pass through aspects of these uh, fiscal. Um, you know, the, the infrastructure deals, both the, both the, uh, you know, kind of the, the capital and the human uh, one, which is kind of part two that, that has yet to really been talked about, you know, significantly. So, you know, I think that's important. And, uh, you know, the Fed could be wrong, Yellen could be wrong. But I think the takeaway here for everybody listening is that um, we could get something a little bit sooner than expected. Market could react to that. Um, you know, the it, fiscal as a driver hasn't been as big a deal. But, you know, when you, ha- it, if, if inflation doesn't look to be as temporary or transitional as uh, many, many people thought, 
um, then having an earlier fiscal package, you know, if that happened concurrently, it, it kind of adds to the inflation narrative and it could be, you know, an event risk or, you know, a thematic event risk that, that upsets markets, you know, from a risk right. appetite perspective, clearly from a, another perspective. The other kind of part B story there is the China commodity story that you were talking about before. We've seen a lot of noise out of China in the last, I would say, 10 days, two weeks around really officials trying to clamp down on speculative commodity um, uh, you know, purchases. I mean, I think everybody knows that, that uh, a commodity store, the commodity store has been absolutely booming this year, whether it's you know, lumber, corn, uh, copper, iron ore, there's a, there, there are a bunch. Um, some of that has come off a lot in the last couple of weeks. Uh, lumber's off significantly, maybe 20%. I believe iron ore spot is off 20%. Copper's off significantly. Corn is off. Um, and they're still up for the year, to be fair, by a lot. Uh, and when you look at the industrials uh, CRB index, it's you know it continues to be up by a lot uh, year to date. But China has a lot to do with this because uh, they basically started saying that they want kind of jawboning, really. You know, we want to see um, this kind of speculation curtailed. And uh, in the last day or two, we've seen um, headlines from uh, out of China basically saying that they do not want banks to uh, provide uh, any type of product, uh, commodity-linked products to retail investors anymore. Um, so they're really trying to clamp that down. So I think that's, you know, it's quite, it's quite interesting and it's had an effect on the market. I think, you know, it's not entirely uh, what's happened. It's not entirely the driver, but I think that, you know, it's kind of like central bank job owning against a currency. Uh, it, this, this is not incredibly dissimilar. It is, you know, you've got a, you've got a, a very important and, and powerful government and mouthpiece that is essentially job owning against spot commodity prices and the rise in spot commodity prices. And it's having an impact. And, um, you know, there's some talk by, you know, some people that, you know, we're, we're going to take a bit of a pause here on the inflation side, sorry, on the commodity side, and it could have an impact on the, um, on the reflation, you know, on the reflation trade, which has obviously been so, you know, so very powerful for, you know, for, from a thematic perspective for 2021. So you kind of put all that together and, you know, what does it mean for inflation? And, you know, I, I, I think it's I think it's a tough call. I still like to believe in the reflation trade. I still think that I still think global demand is is very very strong. In the last uh, podcast we talked about Europe kind of coming up with the vaccination rate and that sort of thing, um, right. and, and I still believe very much in that story. And I think that you know global demand for goods and now kind of shifting into services as places open up like here, continental Europe, clearly in the U.S. You know a few other places. Um, you know that that shift to services, we're gonna we're gonna see that, and that that demand for uh, you know the, the commodity demand is going to be there. Um, you know, but if China continues to get, and China has a very significant influence, obviously over commodity prices globally because it's such a huge manufacturer of goods and commodities. And you know, if this tone continues from China, it's going to be very interesting and could could cap a little bit of the uh, the upside on the uh, on the commodity story. That said, I think that. Um, we've seen so much commodity price inflation this year that a lot of it still hasn't even worked through the system and there's, you know, there's a fair bit to go. So, um, I think it's a, I think it's a story worth watching, um, you know, particularly the, the China commodity story. So you kind of have these very big macro, you know, whether it's us fiscal China commodity, um, 
you know, stories uh, really having a, a potentially very big impact on inflation, which, as you were saying earlier, is one of the big inputs to where, you know, the Fed is and what it's thinking, you know, not only sure. for this year, but I would say for next year. So it's a lot of um, a lot of big macro dynamics kind of happening at, you know, right now. And I think it's I think it's tough to I think it's tough to, um, you know, to have a very, very strong view of where things are going to be by a certain time. And, you know, but we're, we're still taking the approach that we like being you know, relatively short duration versus the benchmark, continue to see rates move higher, even if it's going to be a little bit more sideways here for uh, most of Q2. We think, you know, Q3 is going to be um, a good a good time to be to be short rates. And we're, we're comfortable with uh, with those positions, at least for now, across across our portfolio. Great. You, you referenced uh, that it's a tough time to make predictions, so I'll ask you another one because why not? Um, but uh, with the uh, prospects of uh, commodities being somewhat constrained, call it, um, and the reflationary trade uh, coming off a little bit, what does that mean for uh, CAD, the Canadian dollar? Yeah, for sure. So CAD's, been, CAD's had a very good run this year, as I'm sure many people know. Um, Kind of using the market convention way, um, as opposed to maybe a little bit more the way that a Canadian retail investor might look at. So, you know, it's moved back. You know, dollar Canada lower or CAD appreciation towards 120, um, mm-hmm. and it's been a good. You know, it's been a pretty strong move this year. It's not. Um, it's not far from the crowd. Um, Aussie, you know, Australian Australian dollar, uh, New Zealand dollar has all have also also have also done well. Um, right. You know, and, and that shouldn't surprise, right? The makeup of the economies are similar. Um, commodity, commodity heavy, you know, relatively high exporters. Um, you know, high beta currencies, as we as we say. So, you know, you know, when things are rallying, generally outperforms. When things are not great, thing you know, generally underperforms. You know, one twenty, one twenty in the markets represented a pretty big, significant um, level in terms of uh, you know psychological level. Really, we see a lot of options protection around there. Uh, long-term options protection around there. And it's uh, kind of traded, I think the lowest is around one, 12030, 12040, something in there. And there's definitely been, uh, it's been tough to breach it after it looked like it was marching pretty pretty steadily from 124 all the way down below 121. I, I think that, I think the Canadian dollar is um, in a very good, you know, in a very good spot in terms of Longer term, or let's say medium term appreciation. I, I, I do gender, tend to believe in the a medium to longer term commodity up, upside commodity cycle. Kind of talking about this, despite the the China story, kind of more short term. I think Canada um, is you know is growing. I think you know its its assets are attractive for foreign investment. Obviously, a lot of uh, people coming into the country in the housing markets exceptionally strong in bid, particularly in certain pockets, as we all know. Um, and, um, and, and, and the bank is, is on the hawkish side of, you know, the real, of, of central banks, at least for now, unless they change it, um, definitely more hawkish than the fed. Uh, now, you know, whether the bank changes that or not, we'll see. Uh, but I think that the bank has not seemed to suggest that it's uncomfortable with a late 22, um, interest rate hike yet, um, and you know the Fed, you know we'll see what the Fed does in June, but the Fed's not the Fed's not quite there yet. So, but the, clearly the bank, at least from a from a tone perspective, is more is more hawkish than than the Fed. Definitely, definitely Australia, uh, definitely ECB, definitely Japan. Um, 
you know, New Zealand recently got a, a little more a little more hawkish and suggested that um, it could see one to two hikes by the end of next year. So it's 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 pivoted a little bit as well um, in the last day or two. So, but I think it's pretty constructive. I think it's pretty constructive for the Canadian dollar. I think you know the risks around the dollar here are. Um, if the Fed decides to get a little more hawkish than the market currently prices, which we, you know, which we talked a bit about earlier uh, in the podcast here, I think that is constructive for the U.S. dollar, particularly because I think the market, kind of on a, a short to slightly short to medium basis, is is um, is short. Um, I'd say I say real money and leverage money is relatively short U.S. dollars here. And uh, we could see we could see those shorts get get covered, uh, and that right. would be obviously you know pretty you know somewhat bullish for for uh, for dollar Canada or, or, or Canadian dollar depreciation. Um, you know, I think if you if you are long uh, Canadian dollars here, um, it's probably not a bad time to at least think about hedging a little bit. Um, I'm not saying put a ton of money into it, but I would say maybe at least at least look at some some upside hedges. I mean, obviously dollar CAD has been downside so much this year that, you know, it's very skewed, at least traditionally, in terms of uh, you know, the the downside, you know, downside skew puts versus calls. And so the upside call protection isn't isn't overly expensive. And so if you think something could kind of come off the rails here for whatever reason, whether it's you know commodity prices take a break. You know, Fed. Um, you know, Fed gets a little more aggressive. Equities sell off. I'm not saying that any of these are going to happen. I'm just saying if you think right. that this is a risk scenario that you you subscribe to, uh, and you you know you're relatively neutral or, or somewhat long CAD, it might not be a bad time to take a little bit off or at least buy some up upside call protection. I think you know for the next you know two three four months, I think there's there's some value in that from from our perspective, uh, portfolio perspective. You know, we're always looking at you know alpha and uh, and obviously hedge plays. We're relatively neutral um, in terms of our our dollar CAD exposure, our Canadian dollar exposure. Um, a couple of our funds, I believe, are, are are slightly long, are slightly long CAD. We generally get because we do so much on the uh, on the corporate on the corporate side. Uh, you know, there's a lot of U.S. dollar exposure, um, so we're always looking to make sure that's appropriately hedged. So being neutral, quote unquote, for us is still actually quite, um, you know, a constructive Canadian dollar. Um, you know, traditionally, at least in my three years here, you know, we're generally running a, a slightly long U.S. dollar position. So to be to be neutral is is saying something, and I think that's been the right call. It's been pretty good, um, you know, for the last two three months. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, I think that there's, there's some, again, there's some value in some upside calls here. Uh, if you like to uh, protect, uh, you know, protect some of these, some of these gains uh, when you're kind of entering into these periods that are a little bit more, you know, you've got big macro, you've got a, a slew of big macro events and, you know, it's tough to tell, you know, to skew after it's probably not bad, particularly when, you know, the risk case scenario has, has some relatively cheap optionality and with it, it's it's generally not a bad idea. So, um, but yeah, but we we we've we've had a, a I think a, a pretty good view on on Canadian dollar here for the last little while, and um, you know from from a spot perspective, I'm pretty comfortable still being you know relatively neutral, but with kind of one eye open going into uh, the Fed meeting um, in mid June. 
Dustin, let's call it there. Thanks so much for your comments. Uh, that was excellent. And I look forward to, uh, to the next podcast where we preview the uh, June 16th meeting. That sounds great. Thanks very much, Matthew. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 